Well, good morning. Amen. You know, I drove two hours, almost got blown off the road. It's really windy on the highway. To see you, good morning. Yeah, come on. We're God's people. We should be better. Good morning. Right? Uh, let me make a quick announcement. Cliff and June Webenga. Where are you? Wave. Wave. Are they here this morning somewhere? No? Okay. Well, they had a 50th anniversary this week as well. So. Okay. Lift your hand if you've been married less than five years. Lift your hand if you've been married less than some here, some. Okay. Right. Okay. Husbands, get off your wallet. Get a hold of one of these three couples. Take them out for a nice dinner, and I don't mean like supersize, I mean a nice dinner, and find out what it is that made marriage work for 50 plus years, okay? It'll be worth its weight in gold, okay? So uh, thank you, uh, couples, for giving us an example of enduring love for your mate. Uh, life has important moments. So on Friday, I met with a family, and by God's providence, I will be doing the funeral for this family's dad, who was born in 1919. You do the math. He was forwards, uh, the church I pastored, he was their first missionary. And uh, when he turned 99, I said to him, Bill, what's the best thing about turning 99? He said, I don't suffer with a lot of peer pressure. <laughs> Isn't that good? Well, I need God's help this morning before we jump in. Let's ask for it, okay? Father God, we love you. We love you. And as Galen has led us to the throne, we declare that you are our king. There's one attraction here this morning, and his name is King Jesus. He's not only a king that guides us, but a king that dies for us. Hence, he is a king above all kings, without comparison. Father God, I acknowledge, which you already know, that I need your help this morning. And would you speak, anoint my lips, clarify my thinking, open our hearts, and may we go away from this place having been with you. And it's in the glory of the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. And amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, this morning, friends. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to have communion at the end. And... Uh, I beg forgiveness for going longer than 30 minutes. Right now, I beg forgiveness. Okay, I know we got kids and everything, but I heard, uh, I heard uh, Archbishop Jones went quite long a few weeks ago, so I feel like I'm, 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 in, I'm in safe ground. I want to talk about truth this morning. I want to talk about holding tightly to the truth. We're going to look at the words of Jesus as we go back again to the upper room. John 16, if you would, look at verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send, to you, send him to you. The saving reign of God cannot be fully inaugurated until Jesus has died, risen from the dead, and been exalted to the Father's right hand, returned to the glory he enjoyed with the Father that has existed before time began. And Jesus' valuation of what is for his disciples good, indeed, is for our good too. Amen? 
And it all it really should temper our longings for, oh, if I could have only been there in Galilee with Jesus. Because in fact, in fact, Jesus insists that it's actually going to be better to be alive now after the coming of the Spirit, because Jesus in the flesh would actually eight was aging, right? Fully flesh and fully God, but the flesh side was aging. Verse number eight, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. See, guilt is still upon the world, our world, even today, because they do not believe in Christ. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. See, Jesus has demonstrated for us and for all time and for every person the standard of righteousness. However, Christ is leaving, and then it is the Holy Spirit that will direct people to be able to see that they fall short of the very nature of Christ who is the standard for that which is right. Verse 11, concerning judgment, the ruler of this, the ruler of this world is judged. Satan was judged by Christ, and so will our world. Listen this morning, it's an ominous experience to ultimately come under the judgment of the righteous king of the universe. And you want to avoid that at all costs, because the day will come when the management of this world will change and he will judge. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And that is because, he said in verse 6 there, right, sorrow has filled their heart. They're just a bit overwhelmed. They, he's announced that he's departing. What does this mean? What is happening? Listen carefully. He's, he's, he's restricting that which is what he's going to tell them because there is a time for everything, including the amount of truth in God's providence. Jesus holds off on really some of what will unfold because these disciples are, at this point, they're a little bit disoriented, they're afraid, they're doubtful. And sometimes Jesus mercifully holds off on all the details in our life. Do you agree with that? mercifully. And we're like, thank goodness for that. Sometimes we say, oh, I'd like to know what's going to happen, you know, three weeks from Thursday. No, maybe you don't. And at times you, you say, man, I wish God would give me the details. And he doesn't decide. We talked about this before that he doesn't decide to give you all the details, but he will give you his peace that you can trust him. Look at verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, those, uh, that verse, verse 13, that should come with a match and a wick in our culture. Do you know what I mean? Because we used to say, you know, if we're going to have a trial, we're going to need truth to determine what, what is reality. Now, very truth is on trial. Right? Do you agree with that statement? Truth is on trial. Jesus says to these disciples, and by extension to us as possessors of the Holy Spirit, as followers of Jesus, that we actually, though, can be brought into the truth. But wow, in our society, that is tough. Because the world in which we live, the mantra is, well, that may be true, what? But not for me. Truth is on trial. And just so you know, these are not new postmodern statements. These statements have been around for a long time. That was the mantra of Frederick Nietzsche over 100 years ago. If, certainly if he was not an atheist, he was certainly a nihilist, which means that life has no meaning. It's all meaningless, you know. But he wrote this a bit ironically. All superior men who were irresistibly drawn to throw off the yoke of any kind of morality 
and to frame new laws had, if they were not actually mad, no alternative to, but to make themselves pretend to be mad. So you said, like, if you actually throw off all the laws of morality, you're going to end up mad, which is quite interesting that Nietzsche would say that as a nihilist. And you might find it interesting to know that his life ended in a complete and total mental breakdown. Because although we live in a world that sort of likes, yeah, true for you, not true for me, it's a world that ultimately becomes unlivable when you take that and extract it to the extreme. And then you can turn the clock back another 1,800 years to Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, and he said this, listen carefully, everything we hear is an opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth. Now, this will shock you, but I actually believe that both of those statements are true, but they're incomplete. They're incomplete. There are no facts, only interpretations, listen carefully, in human reasoning. There are no facts, only interpretations in human reasoning. Everything we hear in our world is opinion, not a fact. Everything we see is a perspective, not the truth, when it comes to this area of human reasoning. And so consequently, our society reflects this truth because they don't feel there's any place that we can go to drill into the bedrock of truth. We're living in this world of ever-shifting sands and we're not sure of much of anything. And the way we talk and the way we think reflects that sense of uncertainty. I'm going to show you a little video here, and it's by a poet named uh, Taylor Molly, who's become quite well-known around the world. It's part of a slam poetry contest. If you don't know what slam poetry is, that's because you're old like me. But I want you to watch this. It's very interesting, and interesting how the people respond to this. Just a couple minutes long, but I think it speaks into the world in which we live, okay? Taylor Molly, watch this video for just a moment. Y'all gonna, gonna like this cat, I like this cat a lot. Give it up for my man, Taylor Molly. In case you hadn't realized, it has somehow become uncool to sound like you know what you're talking about or believe strongly in what you're, like, saying? <laughs> Invisible question marks and parenthetical you knows and you know what I'm saying? I've been attaching themselves to the ends of our sentences, even when those sentences aren't, like, questions. <laughs> Declarative sentences, so-called because they used to, like, you know, declare things to be true, okay? As opposed to other things that are, like, totally you know, not. <laughs> They've been infected by this tragically cool and totally hip interrogative tone. As if I'm saying, don't think I'm a nerd just because I've like noticed this, okay? I have nothing personally invested in my own opinions. I'm just like inviting you to join me on the bandwagon of my own uncertainty. <laughs> What has happened to our conviction? Where are the limbs out on which we once walked? Have they been like chopped down with the rest of the rainforest? You know? 
<laughs> or do we have like nothing to say? As society just becomes so filled with these conflicting feelings of that we've just gotten to the point where we're the most aggressively inarticulate generation to come along since, you know, a long time ago. So I implore you, I entreat you, and I challenge you to speak with conviction, to say what you believe in a manner that bespeaks the determination with which you believe it. Because contrary to the wisdom of the bumper sticker, it is not enough these days to simply question authority. You got to speak with it, too. Does that remind you of the culture in which we live? You know, the other end of the spectrum. Actually, let, let me do something first. Let me do something first. Uh, Ren and Roland, come on up. Where are you, guys? I got a couple high-priced helpers here. They're going to help me this morning. Come on up, come on up, come on up, come on up. This, welcome them, Ren and Roland. Okay. Okay, come on over here. Come on. Now, just so you know, for helping me, Pastor James, who's sitting right there, he's going to give you each $5. Yep. Yeah, right there. He's right there. See? He's loaded. Okay. 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 So, uh, hold up that book there. Hold up that book. Okay. Got it. What color is this book? Not a trick question. What color is the book? Blue. Blue. Everybody good? Blue? Okay. What color do you think the book is, guys? Is it blue? Okay. Is it, is it, are you certain it's blue? Yeah. Nothing else? Turn it around. Oh, it's red. It's red. Hmm. See, uh, from my perspective, it was always red, but from your perspective, it was always blue and until Ren turned it around. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Listen, don't forget to get your $10 from Pastor James, okay? Do you want to give that to me? Okay. Now, why do I do such a rudimentary little illustration as that? Thanks, guys. Injected a little Pentecostal flavor into the service. Did you notice that? You see, because at the other end of the spectrum from what Taylor Molly was talking about, we have people who are declarative and confident, but they're often trading in secondhand truth. They have a perspective. Now, you may say to yourself, well, yeah, I mean, that's pretty rudimentary there, Steve. I mean, if, you, if I would have had a bit of time to experience and explore the book, I would have realized it was red on the other side. You, you probably would. But, you know, not everything is as rudimentary, is as simple as a book, right? If you were to say, uh, what is the color of the inside of your head? Like the bone? No, the inside of your head. What color is it? You could ask a doctor and say, you know, but the problem is, again, you'd be dealing in a secondhand truth, a secondhand perspective seen through the lens of others, which is much of what our world holds as fact is people looking through the lenses of others. Or if you were to ask the one who actually created the inside of your head, what colors the inside of my head, if that person was right, Chus, an E-O-U-S, if you're a grammatician, a grammarian, means fully right, completely right. If you could ask the person who is completely always right with the inside of the color of your head, and if that was the person that invented the inside of your head, then 
that person could tell you. And they would not be giving you an opinion because they would see the inside of your head from reality because they're always right. It originated with them. They would tell you the truth because they're omniscient and omnipresent. And the only person that can do that is God, is God. You see, this is why Nietzsche and Aurelius are right in their statements. And this is the reason why we cannot know absolutes from a human perspective. And this is profoundly important as it relates to the truth that Christ is unpacking for us this morning. Now let's go back to our text, verse 13. When the spirit of truth, let me rephrase that, paraphrase that, when the spirit without error comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. It won't be perspective, secondhand lens. This is the voice of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, interacting perfectly, righteously together. But at whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus says he's perfectly right, perfectly trustworthy. He's part of the triune Godhead. He will tell you the truth. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What is truth? In your notes. I've just got two or three little notes this morning. What is truth? Truth is reality from God's perspective. Truth is reality from God's perspective. Do you think God could see both sides of the book at the same time? Of course he can, right? Of course he can. And that's because, as I said, he's omnipresent, right? He's omniscient because he knew that I had put red tape on one side of that book. He's omnipotent. He can do anything, including telling me to put tape on the side of the book, which made my wife say, you're not wrecking my book, are you? I said, oh, no, but I think I probably did. Hope she's not watching this morning, actually. When Jesus said he will guide you into all the truth, what he's saying there in the context of that upper room is, I've told you a lot in this upper room, disciples of Jesus, and by extension, he's told us a lot. And while traveling these roads, he told those disciples a lot, taught them a lot of things. We we're able to read the narrative of the Gospels, right? And then he says, you know, and further, the, the New Testament is going to be unfolded. That's the things that are to come. And that revelation will be supported and expanded. And you will be led into the truth of that by the Holy Spirit who will bring illumination to that truth. And that's why Paul could write with confidence in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen? Because God knows. He could see it. He knows the reality of that. Verse 10 then, in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians says this, chapter 2, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And Jesus tells us this morning, friends, that as followers of Christ, we have access to the truth. Because the Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're indwelt with the Spirit, the Spirit is going to bring you the fullness of understanding. And then look at verse 14 there of chapter 16. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit is about bringing attention and glory to Jesus. Not himself. His work of bringing glory to Christ is illuminating the truth who is Christ. The Word became flesh, the Logos, the divine 
overarching narrative of all of human history and of the world and the universe. The Word. The Spirit glorifies Christ by illuminating the truth. And we bring glory to Christ by obeying and proclaiming that very truth. That's what we're to do as followers of Jesus. And remember, I, I said to you, there's a cost for that. Remember we talked about that last week? Some people aren't going to like that. And the last part of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us this, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, aligns perfectly with what Jesus said. Verse 15, right? All that the Father has is mine. God is truth, and he has made that truth himself available, how? Through the Son. You want to see truth? You look at Jesus. Jesus is the revelation of the Father, and that's why in John 10.30, Jesus declares, declarative statement, I and my Father are one. We're one. We are knit together inextricably, which leads us to how will this happen? Well, look at verse 13. The Spirit will guide you into all truth. Isn't that interesting? The Spirit will guide you into all truth. The Spirit does not drive you, does not manipulate you, does not coerce you, does not push you or bully you. He guides. Actually, the, probably the most literal translation of that Greek word is he leads. He just leads. You choose whether or not to follow. And if he's going to lead, then we as disciples need to simply do one thing, right? It's to follow. Of course, it's to follow. And I think I may have mentioned here a few weeks ago that the Spirit has no prerogative to reveal that which we will not follow or obey, right? He probably will, but you won't even see it. If you've got the Holy Spirit sort of locked in one room of your spiritual or your life a house where he's locked in there and you let him out on Sunday, life's going to be tough, right? Life's going to be tough. So how are you doing on this journey of surrender to the Spirit, right? How are you doing? So that he can lead you into all truth. You know, there's no superheroes in the Bible. We sometimes act like there are, right? Except for one. Except for one, the Lord Jesus himself. It was only through times and troubles that others grew in their walk with the Lord. We could go through the biblical uh, name list, if you want, you know, pick out somebody like Abraham, right? A man of great faith, but he grew in that faith and became a man in, of great faith. And late in his life, he became something that we probably would like to emulate by walking in the truth. It takes time. It's never instant. It takes time and it often takes trouble. But God made a promise to Abraham and others that walk in the truth. I will make the truth the very realities that you need to hang your life on available in total clarity and absolute dependability. Alistair Begg says, the plain things in the Bible are the main things. And the main things are the plain things. There's no real help in sitting around and studying for months and wondering if Adam had a belly button. And I don't say that flippantly. When you go to seminary, people get you know, wound up in stuff that really is not by God's design revealed to us, but the things that he makes plain, they're the main things you need to know to live life. Amen? They're the, they're the things, right? Holy Spirit, I said a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, have your way in me, right? Have your way in me every hour of every day. And in this way, the Spirit is like this lamp that's constantly shining, burning bright, and lighting the way. If you are ignoring the Spirit and grieving the Spirit, it is like trying to move through life to a strobe light. Anybody remember strobe lights? Now, I probably shouldn't even reveal this, but I will. I was a DJ at a roller rink. Such a strange little man you've invited here. 
And that's where I met my wife. The best thing I ever got out of the roller rink was my wife, okay? She wouldn't say the same thing. The worst thing she ever got out of the roller rink was a broken arm, or maybe me, I don't know. But anyway, uh, but the roller rink, we had strobe lights. The most fun you could have on a Friday night, back when roller skating was big, we'd have like a thousand high schoolers in the rink. It would be jammed. It was the place, okay? This was back in <laughs> a long time ago. Anyways, the place would be jammed, and the, be the most fun you could have was put on a fast song, like Ballroom Blitz. Anybody remember that song? Okay, let's sing it together. No, we're not gonna sing. But it's a really fast song. You put on Ballroom Blitz and turn on the strobe light. Now a strobe light, the way it works is it, it brings light quickly and extinguishes light quickly, as best as I understand it. So you're skating to a strobe light and the strobe, strobe light, I can see, and the next time it comes on, you've smashed into the person in front of you, right? And so we were sort of mean-spirited, and we loved to see that. Let's put the strobe light on with ballroom bliss. That's what it's like going through life, ignoring, grieving, uh, setting aside the Holy Spirit. It's like going through life in a strobe light, and you get little flashes of light where things seem to make sense. But when it goes dark for even a second, you are in a wreck. You're in a wreck. You've crashed. What happened? And that's what happens when you live from your own perspective, right? Now let us just take a minute as we wind down this morning and talk about what Jesus is teaching, what, what it means to us. First of all, if, you've been, if you're a Christ follower here this morning, you've been following Jesus for a long time, let me, let me just say this quickly. You, you likely have noticed that truth has fallen on hard times, right? Uh, relativism, personal subjectivity has damaged truth pretty significantly at least how it's been accepted in our world. But, but listen, all, all is not lost, okay? I would say that in many ways, postmodernism has run its course. And what has happened in this constant sort of deconstructing of everything, that meant, as Taylor Molly said, that there's no longer anything to believe in. And when there's nothing to believe in, there's little to be excited about. Have you noticed that? And ultimately, whatever you believe in, you'll feel let down because there's no facts, there's only interpretation, a wasteland, bewilderment. A few years ago, a Montreal indie band called Arcade Fire captured this cultural moment perfectly in their song, The Month of May. Listen to the lyrics. I'll read them quickly. Now the kids are all standing with their arms folded tight. The kids are all standing with their arms folded tight. Now some things are pure and some things are right, but the kids are all standing with their arms folded tight. <laughs> I said some things are pure and some things are right, but the kids are all standing with their arms folded tight. See, arms folded is saying, I am here, but I'm not present, and I'm bored, and I'm indifferent, and I have nothing to lift my presence to or with. And if you're not experiencing the beauty and blessing of truth, it may be because you're holding God at bay. You may be a Christian and given your life to Christ, but you have drifted. You have had this slow spiritual drift. And in some ways, you're holding God at bay. And in some areas, maybe significant areas in your life, your arms are folded tight. If your home, as I said a few weeks ago, is an accessory to Christ, then Christ is an accessory in your home. And you view Christ as, oh boy, he's the supplier of happy stuff. The generation that comes behind you, your kids will see through that in a second, and they will become bored and cynical, and they will look at your Christianity with their arms folded tight. And the way we penetrate that is to live a life where everything else is stripped away, and Jesus would be enough if there's nothing else, because that 
is the ultimate truth, that Jesus is all sufficient. People are looking for a place to hook their lives, to anchor their lives to. And I declare this morning to you, friends, that I know of no other place other than the one and only Jesus. Second, some of you have been a Christian for a long time, but some of you, you're kind of wondering about this, right? Uh, I'm kind of wondering about all of this. You know, is this the real deal? Maybe you're hearing you're a teenager this morning, college student. Maybe you're married to somebody who's a follower of Christ, but uh, you're kind of wondering, is this the real deal, right? Is this it? Now stay with me. I promise I'm done at the end of this. We're going to come to communion. If God has the capacity, and very few people I meet are complete and total atheists, because functionally, practically, it's hard to live. They want somewhere to believe that somewhere there's meaning and that this all traces back somewhere. But if you're here this morning... And you can at least make room to say that God had the capacity to create the beauty and complexity of you, and you're unbelievably complex. Regardless of any ridiculous standard that the world determines, you are made in the image of God, and you are a beautiful piece of art from God. In fact, the New Testament says you are God's poema, from which we get the word poem. You're his work of art. Now, you've been dinged by sin, no doubt about it. Something's gone wrong and that has been damaged. And so God said, you know, we're going to fix the damage. Now we're going to project a picture here. Maybe some of you are into art. Man, I really am short, aren't I? Uh, This picture, anybody know what this picture is? The name of this picture? Any artists here? Salvatore Mundi. Painted by who? Anybody know? We can have an art show here, Pastor James, or something. I don't know. It was painted by James Beckers. No, it wasn't. It was painted by Da Vinci, Salvador Mundi. Most expensive painting that has ever been sold, $450 million. Okay, it's 2017. And it's called Salvador Mundi, Savior of the World. He's holding his right hand up for blessing. The, The imagery is he's holding his left hand with the world in his hand. Listen carefully. Here's the interesting thing. Anybody here got an art degree? I won't put you on the spot. This painting is known as a pentimento. Do you know what pentimento is? It's a do-over. It's the world's most famous do-over. Because if you could examine that picture really closely, get up close, you would see that Da Vinci actually changed his hand. He didn't like the way the hand looked, so he painted over the hand and he changed his hand. And in the art world, that's called a pentimento. Now listen carefully as we close. Do you know that you get a chance for a do-over? Jesus says, you know what? Your life's busted. You're broken by sin. You're a sinner and sinner has dinged you. But you know what? Listen, you get a chance for a do-over. And listen, the do-over that you get costs infinitely more than that do-over because the do-over that you get is paid for by the blood of Christ. He said, I'll give you a do-over. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, I, I... I wonder if this Christianity is true. Let me just tell you, it is. If I wasn't a Christian, my life would be a total wreck. Left to my own devices, I'd be a wreck. So think about this do-over. The most important truth that the Spirit will lead you into is that you can find your way back home. And the Father is waiting for you to arrive. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, Father God, we love you. Father God, thank you for the opportunity for a renovation of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our wills. Thank you that we are a blood-bought people. The gift has been given. 
And I pray that there's someone here this morning, someone here this day that would think very, very, very deeply about whether or not they've received that gift. Father God, I remember the day when I was 10 years old in my own backyard and I said, man, I I am a sinner. And Father, there was years when I wandered so far from that reality and the Spirit led me back into the truth that you love me, you care for me, that I can do things that bless your heart and break your heart because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Father, I would pray that there was there would be some either this morning or watching online this morning that would realize that the greatest truth in the world is the truth that Jesus is the savior of the world and theirs alone. For there is no other name given under heaven by which man may be saved apart from Jesus. Father God, we love you. Amen and amen. Friends, Please take your communion cups this morning. Anybody here this morning ever um, read the last page of a book? Admit it. You don't want to admit it, but you admit it. You know, you go to the end. You, re- you get into the book and you read and you say, you know what? I wonder if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the last couple pages of the book. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, a few. Okay, a few of us have done it. Do you know, communion is reading the last page of the book. And if I could get this open... My mother always said the best man for a job is always a woman. Kale Ann, sorry. No, I got it. Oh, you got her already started on the... So I'm already at the juice level, right? Okay, there we go. See, when we come to communion, we're reading the last page of the book, and you say that ruins the story. No, no, no. The difference with communion and the book you read, or the difference between your life story and the story you read is your life story, you're in the story, and sometimes the story is really tough, isn't it? There's chapters you go, man, this is really tough, and I'm in the story. I can't get out of the story. When you read a book, you read, oh, yeah, you're just reading. You're extracted. You're being entertained. But in the story of your life, there's chapters that are immensely difficult, discouraging. The disciples, when they leave that upper room, they're going to face an ominous chapter. When we take communion, you know what we do? We read the end of the book because Jesus said every time we do this, we do it in remembrance of him. We remember, we realize afresh and anew how the story ends. Amen? Which makes the story livable. And in that little upper room, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. And he broke it. And he said, every time you do this, you will do this in remembrance of me. This morning, King Jesus, we remember you. And in the same way, he took the cup The Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, the perfect blood of the perfect lamb, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin. So Jesus, I I just imagine in that upper room holding up a glass. This is the blood of Jesus, symbolic, that it would be poured out for you and for me. Remember what John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of... You can write your name in there. You can write your name in there. Amen? In remembrance of Jesus. Gail Ann, lead us. Let's lift our voices to the Lord.